Guardian angels and patron saints, pray. pray for us. This week, well, yesterday mostly, I had been preparing my homily and, and I got to Mass yesterday and due to the weather, it was a very light attendance. And, you know, part of the mental composition beforehand is sort of anticipating who, who's going to be present and who to speak to. And that particular day, uh, it was so drastically uh, changed the number of people that were here that I, I just kind of scrapped my homily and I, I say spoke from more of a freewheeling perspective. And I, I referenced and tried to connect to some of the things that I presented to the, to the families that were here for the confirmation uh, parent meeting this last week. So of the 30 or so kids uh, and their, the parents that um, were responsible for them, we had a very, very low turnout. We only had about oh, 12 or so people present for that talk. And so it touched a nerve on me because there's many things that I want to communicate to our school families and to our parish. And it seems as if the more and more I try to communicate, the fewer and fewer people hear the message. <laughs> and so I'm going to just keep repeating it as often as I need to for two reasons. One, to get the message out, and of course, to keep you all updated on what's happening here at our school. But secondly, um, that I, I want to be clear about the message because I think I hear many times that that message is being changed or altered in the passing from person to person. And it's sort of like a game of telephone where it's almost comical what comes out at the end after being passed from ear to ear. So I just want to reiterate and maybe emphasize certain things, obviously in a, in a specific context here of our readings today, specifically our second reading. Second reading speaking very beautifully about these um, gifts, these spiritual gifts. You know, about just over 50 years ago, uh, the Catholic Church went through a tremendous shift, a tremendous change. All the bishops of the world came together and met in Rome at the Vatican. And a council called the Second Vatican Council was convened. That took place in the early 1960s. The Second Vatican Council is something that I think many of our families and our parishioners and many Catholics, if they've heard of it at all, have certain ideas about, misunderstandings about, simply because I think many times we take it for granted, priests and bishops, that everybody's sort of aware of that. But I've found, as the more and more I talk about it, that that's not the case. In fact, that presentation on Wednesday night, almost no one had even heard of the Second Vatican Council. Many of you, well, I won't say many of you, some of you were alive during that time and remember what changed. You remember what it was like before the council and you remember this time of um, almost constant revision and change that was probably quite uh, a lot of upheaval. What's going on? What's happening as, it, you know, as it's changing? Things that we took for granted for many years are suddenly gone. That took place in living memory of many of the people of our parishes, particularly this parish. So what was it? What was it? Why did it happen? Why then? 
you look back through the history of the 20th century, you know that the human race faced things that it had never come across before. The things that were taking place in the 20th century were completely new. And evil manifested itself in a way that had never really been, been seen before. Certainly there have been evils in the past, but evil got organized in the 20th century. Evil stepped it up a notch. And in the 1960s, and even into the 1970s, what were the things that were still raw in people's minds? Well, in the 1970s, of course, we had the, the Vietnam War. Prior to that, we had all the conflicts around civil rights, the, the news reels of the peaceful protesters, the nonviolent protesters in Selma and Birmingham, all of those conflicts and the suppression of the, of the people looking to overturn Jim Crow and all of that uh, very in, unjust treatment and separation and segregation. Prior to that, we have the Korean War and then all of the terrible burdens of the, of the Second World War. It's beginning, all of the horrors of National Socialism, the Nazi regime, the Holocaust, and then the dropping of nuclear bombs, annihilating hundreds of thousands of people in an instant. Right? The human race has never faced those kinds of things before. Sure, we've had genocide, but the kind of organized, systematic, passionless genocide that took place in the Holocaust What are we capable of? People began to ask that with real fear. And then as those nuclear weapons became, as they proliferated, they became the possession of not just the United States, but our enemies. Well, it's very possible that either due to malice or even incompetence or misunderstanding, the human race could annihilate our planet, right? We could launch bombs at each other that would just wipe everyone out. It'd be almost like a second flood. The Lord would just wipe the face of the earth clean. And so the Catholic Church is, of course, paying attention to all of these things, reading the signs of the times, trying to take from the the sources of revelation, something like a word of faith, a word of hope, a word of love to be able to preach to people who are bringing real and genuine questions and deep fears before God. And it became clear, not just in this particular context, but throughout the 20th century, the early 20th century, that much of the truths of our faith were not connecting with the lived experience of cultures and nations the ideology of atheistic communism is now do was now dominating uh, an, an enormous portion of the earth, an explicit nation of rejection of the existence of God, at least on paper. And how do we fight this? How do we fight back? How do we, how do we take responsibility for this situation? The church saw that 
what was happening was a, a disconnect between the truth of faith and the, the good news of the gospel and the, ordin- the lives of ordinary people, right? The things that determine our political decisions, our cultural decisions, our economic activity, all of the details of our lives. God seems to be retreating from all of it. And when God retreats from that, or we drive him out from that, when we, when we expel him from our life, death takes his place. So into this turmoil, the church said we need to connect our faith with the lives of people with their hearts to bring them into the, the saving gifts of baptism, the forgiveness of sins, and the beauty and the joy of living a life united to Christ, even when it involves carrying his cross. And so the council took up these, these questions and began to offer points of renewal. The word in Italian that was used to describe what the goal of the council was, was aggiornamento, which means, it's hard to translate, it means something like updating, renewing. The basic idea was precisely what was expressed in our second reading today. To say, everyone, every baptized Christian has a role to play in his church. Every baptized Christian is called to holiness and every baptized Christian is given the, the tools and the gifts to be on mission. To be a missionary. To lead the attack against the gates of hell. Every Christian has that responsibility. And in a, in a beautiful and I believe inspired movement of the Holy Spirit, at the reforms of the Second Vatican Council were set in place to make those changes. What were some of the things that, that, that would have been noticeable? I'm sure many of you would be able to tell from your own experience what you noticed, what you saw, what you observed, what you, what you experienced. The most significant change would have been that we pray at Mass in the local language of the people. We pray in the vernacular, is the, tongue, is the term. The spoken language. Uh, in which that, that, that prayer is taking place. Right? The, the intention was, people don't know what's happening at Mass. They don't, it's passing by. They don't have the time or the desire to, to learn those ancient languages so as to be capable of, of receiving what they're giving. So let's make it accessible to people. Another change was uh, a change in the tone and the approach to building bridges with our fellow Christians, and even people of other religious beliefs. As the thinking went, well, how can we be effective witnesses to the world as Christians if we spend so much of our time pointing out why each other is wrong? Wouldn't our witness be much more credible if we were able to say, we share these things in common. They are the saving truths of our faith. Come, join us. Be one with us as we are one. Right? Let's not emphasize the things that make us distinctively Catholic. Our devotion to Mary, 
Many Christians have a problem with that. They, think they, they see it as idolatrous or maybe even just a distraction from Jesus. Why should we spend so much time emphasizing devotion to Mary? Why don't we instead focus on what we have in common with other Christians? Why do we have devotions to saints? Or why do we read things that aren't in the scriptures and draw our religious faith from them? Many Christians only use the scriptures. They only accept what's here in the Bible. And they seem to be doing really well with that. Maybe we should not so much get rid of, but just de-emphasize the things like our tradition, our magisterium, right? our catechism, our ways of teaching that really draw together and, um, and, and, and with clarity make clear what it is that we believe, but that other Christians seem to find to be a stumbling block. In the name of being more effective at engaging the world and saving it from destroying itself, I mean, it's, it's not just a matter of organization. This is, this is a mission, right? We're, we're living in a world that has every chance, have, has, has every likelihood of annihilating itself. We need to be more effective. We need to be carrying out our mission more urgently. We need to be bringing God to people and people to God. And so I think what happened in the, in the lives of, of Catholics is that there was a great change, a, a great amount of hope, but also a fair amount of confusion. Well, what is it that we believe now? Are we getting rid of Mary? Are we getting rid of the Eucharist? Are we getting rid of our teaching on human sexuality and marriage and contraception? Are we getting rid of all of those things? Is that, is that not really part of the program anymore? Are we just talking about Jesus? Right? A confusion began to, to set in. And sadly, I would say the sincere effort to connect the liturgy of the church and make it accessible to many didn't, in fact, produce that deeper understanding I don't think Catholics of our time are better catechized, better educated, and have a deeper understanding of what's happening in the liturgy than the Catholics of 75 or 100 years ago. Not as a whole, anyway. In fact, the great hope in the time of the Second Vatican Council was that we would see a tremendous renewal and growth in the church. But what's been happening over the last 50 years is quite, quite the opposite. There's been a slow attrition, something that's been accelerated by the pandemic, but it's been happening for decades. In fact, the fastest growing religious body in the United States today is former Catholics, people who were raised in the faith, educated, given their sacraments, and then disappear. The great hope and the call to renewal that the Second Vatican Council issued, well, many people, I would say, uh, not many, some people argue that because of the fruits of that council, they reject it. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. It wasn't from God. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's the right way to understand that story. 
I do believe it's not because we did what the Second Vatican Council asked, that we see these bad fruits, but because we didn't. We didn't do what the Second Vatican Council asked. We didn't reconnect with our own sources of tradition and salvation and make them more accessible. We lost them. We forgot them. Nonetheless, the call to renewal is still here. It's still with us. It's not too late. We can take up that message and that mandate, inspired by the Holy Spirit, live it out, put it into practice, and see what the Holy Spirit will do. At that meeting on Wednesday night, I announced to our our families that one of the things that we need to do as a community is come together. A community that is not sustained and nourished by the Eucharist is built on sand. And so, those families that are wanting to present their children for confirmation or for First Communion have to come to Mass. And we're going to track that. And we're going to take attendance. And if a family doesn't at least make an effort, I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not asking for a 100% attendance rate, but an effort. If a family doesn't make that effort, if a family doesn't reach out to me and say, here's why, then that child can't receive their sacraments in the fall, or in the spring, excuse me. Right? Because what have they been learning this whole time? They've been learning that being a Catholic Christian really doesn't have anything to do with the way they spend their time. It doesn't have anything to do with any of you either. It doesn't have anything to do with the Eucharist. We can do all those things or leave them and still be perfectly fine. And that's not a lesson that I can get behind. That would be a lie. And I, I will be held accountable for telling a lie and getting in the way of the truth to these little ones who need it. So I want to be clear about that. That's, that's the, what I'm asking these families, requiring of them, both from our school and from our religious education program. But so too, all of the families of our school and our parish come, be present. Sunday Mass attendance isn't the goal of the Christian life. It's the foundation. It's what marked the early Christians, the very beginning. They came together to pray and to break the bread in remembrance of Jesus as he commanded them. But I don't think it's just about coming to Mass. Mass, is, as I said, is the foundation, but it's not the goal in, in the sense of once you come to Mass, you're done. It is the goal in the sense of it's communion with God that everything that we believe in as Christ, Catholic Christians is meant to give us. So, I think this year, what we're going to do is change up our spring formation a little bit. Every year, we, as you know, for many years, we've had the auction as a fundraiser for the school. But I, I don't think the auction is going to happen this year because uh, we've struggled to find the volunteers and the help that we need in order to put it on, to solicit the donations and to make possible that fundraiser. And we'll find other ways to raise those funds, maybe a raffle. But more importantly, we are still going to meet. We're going to bring the families of our school, our parish, our benefactors, our alumni together. 
and to spend some time listening and paying attention to what St. Paul describes in this second reading today. To each individual, St. Paul says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. This is what are called the spiritual charisms. When we're baptized and then confirmed, the Holy Spirit is poured out into our lives, and he gives gifts. They're different for each one of us, as St. Paul describes. To some are given some forms of service. Others are given other forms of working, different spiritual gifts, but it's one and the same Holy Spirit in all of us. What are those gifts? We believe by faith that you have them. Every single one of you has a spiritual gift or gift or gifts that were given to you for some benefit to the body of Christ. Do you know what they are? Do you know what your gifts are? If not, if you have some uncertainty about that question, we're going to offer a means of coming to understand what are my spiritual gifts? What are the spiritual gifts that are available and tend to show up in patterns in the life of the church? And then which ones belong to me? March 4th and 5th, we're going to be inviting a called and gifted workshop to come and begin walking us through that process of discerning. And I invite you all to be present. We'll have one session in English and one in Spanish. We'll announce the schedule for these things in the coming weeks. Everyone's welcome. And instead of asking you to show up and work on auction, we're going to work for you. We're going to put the work and the resources of the church at your service so that you can come to understand more deeply, what is it? What is the life of the Spirit in me? What contribution do I have to make? Where is my place in the body of Christ? However, I think there are some things that we'll need to be very vigilant to avoid if this is to bear fruit in our community. And I'm just going to talk about one of them today. One of the things that we have to avoid is a certain spirit, what I would call clericalism. Clericalism. What does that word call to mind when you hear it? Clericalism. The uh, attitude or approach of the leaders of the church, the clerics, to proudly misuse their authority. That being a cleric entitles them to a certain privilege, to being free from any kind of criticism or resistance, that king-like, they simply rule, dictate, and the rest of our jobs is to obey. We need to avoid that. There's a danger of that. Pray that I avoid any spirit of that creeping into my own priestly life. But the other side of that coin is perhaps even more dangerous. The other side of that coin is when lay people treat the priest as if the work of the church was only the responsibility of bishops and priests. The rest of us, we don't have to take responsibility. We can avoid the obligations of our own baptism by just giving that authority to the priest. 
Father knows best. He's responsible. When that happens, the spirit of a parish is immature. The spirit of a parish fails to take responsibility. There's a kind of immature, either letting someone else take care of things, or there's a kind of immature resentment, criticism, withholding of support and responsibility. That's very dangerous. It won't work if that lack of willingness to engage and take responsibility lays unpursued. So, these are challenging things for us. I could say more. I've gone on long enough today. I could say a lot more, but I'll end on a note of hope. One of the other things I think we need to avoid here at Christ the King in particular is a sense that the best days are past. You should have seen it back when things were great here, Father. I hear that a lot. I hear about how this church was packed, standing room only, people lining the walls, no place to sit. I hear about how we had 1,200 students in our school. Right? When this neighborhood was just bursting at the seams, there was life, there was community, activity, there was a sense like this is the place to be. In our gospel reading today, Jesus does this little miracle as the first of his signs. And I pray that it be the first of the signs among us as well. You see, he gave them wine that was better than the wine they had been drinking. Sometimes we can think the old wine is better. And what we keep drinking, we only drink because, well, that's all that's left. Our lives can be that way sometimes. We can think, well, there's not much left for me. Or there's not much left for us. But you see, that's not the way the Lord works. He saves good things that renew and enrich and surprise us. That wine that he served when they ran out at that first sign that he worked was even better than what they had. And you can hear in the, in the words of those stewards, first a kind of surprise and confusion, but later almost a joy. This is amazing. This is wonderful. And I believe that the Lord can bring us to that again as well. We forget what's past in the sense of holding on to it and look instead to what is here and now with us. It's what I'm asking our, fr- our families to do, to, to throw in their lot with us, to make this their home, to take responsibility and move it forward. And maybe for you, those of you that have been here for many years, you're tired, you've done your part. Right? There's, there's much that we can rejoice over over these past years. Your prayers to renew, right? to bring in, to bring in the, the ones the Lord has here for us, and to make this a place where they can come to know the fullness of life. Where they can come to receive the formation in prayer 
in our, in our, our work of education, that they would, they would be able to experience those things. Your prayers for that work are enormously powerful because you care about what's happening here. You're, you're going to be dedicated in pursuing and pursuing and knocking and seeking and asking the Lord for the grace that we need in order to make this work. When I go visit the sick and homebound, I'm asking them, you can't come to Mass for us with us right now, but your prayers are so powerful. Pray for your parish. Pray for the people in, in, in Christ the King. Pray for your priests. Offer up your kind of declining years of suffering, of maybe isolation, of illness. Offer those things up for the fruitfulness of the work that God wants to do, that together all of us will drink that new wine, rejoicing together in the presence of our God and Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.